Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, look at that from the, oh God, can my collar be more? I mean, why didn't anybody tell me I looked, <laughs> I looked like a 1980s mob boss uh, librarian. I don't know, some awful version of that. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. This is the Morning Combat Benavidez Andrade post-fight show. I am here in the bomb shelter. Brian Campbell, you may have just seen him on the pay-per-view broadcast. He actually got the call to do that like very, very last minute. He was supposed to be here with us today. And as you can see, he's not. So going back to this very quickly, as you can see, in his absence, we've got the hat that I bought him, uh, the Rafael Nunez Airport in Cartagena, Colombia. I bought him that hat. So he'll, that will be our stand-in for him. But here I am. Uh, the pay-per-view is over. It is in the books. That is the, sadly, that is the last Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, there is one more Showtime card, but I want to get to everything that we just saw. So let's do the standard disclaimer. Thumbs up on the video. Thank you guys so much for watching. I know we typically do our post-fight shows around MMA content, but this was a fun one. This was an important one. This was the last one So uh, for this particular series anyway. So I wanted to make sure that we got here just the same. Please subscribe if you haven't as well. And also, for everyone who stayed up, Thank you so much for everyone who followed our coverage this past week. For everyone I saw at the PFL yesterday, shouts to y'all. Really appreciate that. So everyone who's watching our content, whether it's MMA or boxing, hey, I greatly appreciate it. You can see the socials below there for BC and I. Hey, I got to say, BC did a great job. Except, BC, why did you Roy Firestone Charlo? Just trying to make him cry, huh? What was that? He was, do you guys see that? Oh, Charlo was just like, yo, I don't, please don't make me cry. And BC was like, yo, tell me about all the pain you've been suffering. Um, so I don't know how he feels about that. But other than that, I thought BC did a phenomenal job. All right. Um, we have a lot to get to here for this post-fight show. Not a moment to lose. So let's get to the results here if we can. David Benavidez uh, defeats Demetrius Andrade in your main event. And he does so uh, essentially... Demetrius Andrade, corner, informed the referee they did not want to continue, in the for and then the referee waves it. So it's technically a ref stoppage, but it's really a corner stoppage, and the timing would be three minutes of round six, but essentially after round six, between round six and round seven. A um, couple things that sort of stand out to me. This was maybe one of the more entertaining fights Demetrius Andrade's ever had. They're common complaint about him is that he'll fight really well for four rounds-ish or something like that and then kind of coast on the back end. You heard them say that he had brought in Victor Conti to make sure that he had the cardiovascular conditioning or, you know, otherwise the ability to do what he wants to do late into the fight. Didn't end up getting there. And by the way, Conti, it turns out, had him rehydrate to 190 pounds today, which I just saw, so he could bully the bully. That did not work. 
that rehydration strategy did not work um, whatsoever. So something to consider there. Uh, but the story of this fight is really the story of David Benavidez. Here he is now, Caleb Plant, and now Demetrius Andrade, back-to-back fights. He wins. This was technically a bout for the interim super middleweight WBC fight, but what it really meant was the Canelo sweepstakes, which we'll get to as well. But I want to tie two different things together. Do you guys remember? We had uh, Breadman in studio, Stephen Edwards. Shouts to the Philly legend himself. We had him here in studio, and one thing is uh, I, I had asked him about was if you look at the tape, and you even saw Al Bernstein mention it, don't go square, but he goes square all the time with uh, Andrade. There's a YouTube channel. I want to give them a shout-out as well. I'm going to tie it all together called Boxing Gems. Uh, Boxing Gems is just sort of really phenomenal work. They really do great uh, breakdowns for boxing. And in the preview to this, they never say that one thing will be the dictating factor or not, but that these are the way this line up. That, of course, he's not the only one who pointed this out, but certainly they did. That you would see... Benavidez goes square with guys, right? He's not bladed. He's coming straight on him, create, creates a big target. And that could potentially be a problem. In fact, you saw at the end of the first round, Andrade intercept him with a big right hand. But what did Breadman say when I brought up the fact that there really is a lot of tape showing him going square and there are risks associated? What he pointed out was, right, but look at his offensive output even as he does that. He does go square partly for lateral movement so he can go side to side. Um, but the other issue is he fires back. He fires back a lot. And as a result, he is kind of cheating the system by going square. You would never want to do that under more technical terms, more technical considerations. But he does it for some exchanges in the positive direction for his offense. I think you saw that here Tonight Now, really what ended up being the bigger story in terms of the actual matter-of-fact punches that led to something I would beginning the down the, the decline of Andrade, it was a big right hand. Because what you also saw from Benavidez was creating a bunch of different looks. You know, what was interesting is that Andrade was landing really well. His combinations early were... I mean, he was throwing a 10-punch combinations. He was mixing up the looks. He was mixing up the targeting. He was mixing up the angles. But slowly, Benavidez started to do the same in his own way. But he did do it. And you actually see uh, Andrade lean back and kind of have his hands up. I don't know if they were crossed or not. I have to go back and look at the tape. But he's expecting a shot to come to the right because he had lowered his level. And then instead, he came over the top and cracked him above his gloves. You can see the eyes of Andrade roll back in his head. Like, he had not been hit like that maybe ever in his career. He's been down before, but he got rocked in this contest and in that particular punch. So the story of the fight was, I think, correctly told to us ultimately by Al Bernstein, which is that listen, if you can really stick to the jab, if you can move, you can actually slow him down. If you can do that for 12 rounds, congratulations. You can beat him, but the margin or you have to hurt him on your own. But anything in between, he's just going to eat get better at problem solving, set up his own offense, land on you. And once he does, then the defense that you show him just begins to diminish. And once it diminishes, once one crack begins to open in the rock, the entire apparatus begins to fall because his ability to snowball, as Breadman called it, his ability to move downhill on guys is so amazing. He's got shots at long range. He can change up the look, as we just mentioned. He's also got tons of short-range punches. The uppercuts from either side were great. By the way, being square like that enables him to get to some of these 
important positions. Um, he could fire chopping shots over the top. There was another one where he faked the same way, had Andre going the same way, and then came over the side with the left. So he is the guy also mixing up everything, mixing up the looks, mixing up the, lo the location, mixing up the targeting, mixing up the setups, while using that forward pressure, even with some of the trade-offs he makes by going square. And again, high offense here, right above the, right above, uh, the waist, covering a little bit of the face, hiding under here, right? So hands up defense, right? He's not trying to out-slick you with his defense for the most part, but that enables him to return fire right there. This was only, I believe, the second fight of Andrade's career that took place at this weight class, 168 pounds. And you could arguably make a case that if the Canelo fight doesn't materialize, could David Benavidez take a fight at 175 pounds? He could. He actually could do that. Um, so there was a bit of a size difference more naturally between these two guys. But that, but that performance ultimately that Benavidez turned into Nightman, if that wasn't the kind of – let me just say this. I don't know what's going to happen between David Benavidez and Canelo Alvarez. I don't know how any future negotiations between them might go. I don't know – what Canelo may or may not require for that to happen, who is to say, I hope we get to see it. I don't know if we will. But I will say this, it, auditions for fights against superstars like that, or it, it, not just as a popular attraction, but the uh, unified champion in the weight class, they, they don't come more impressive than this, right? This guy was in, Andre was supposed to be a defensive slickster, was supposed to be the guy who obviously hadn't lost in 15 years, 32 and 0, he's 35 years old. Right? He has everyone remarked about his skill, all true things. Everyone remarked about his defensive responsibility, all true things. David Benavidez chopped through him like a machete in dense jungle, just slicing through everything. He cut him to pieces by the end of that fight. Not quite literally. He wasn't bleeding in that sense, but he was barely hanging on to consciousness, barely hanging on to balance, barely hanging on to that fight continuing, he was rattled, battered. He looked like he had been on a storm on a boat in the Arctic that barely survived some kind of, uh, you know, terrible surge of water over and over and over again for the entire evening. Like, he just looked weathered by the end of that contest because David Benavidez's ability to put punches together, combinations together, to find opening at ranges, openings at angles, big power at distance, changing up every, uh, the, the looks, changing up the targeting, and once, as I said it before, once that crack in the armor begins to show, he will rip open everything else. He barges through, man, like the Kool-Aid man through the side of a wall once he sees a little bit of that brick breaking. That's all he needs to do, and then it is over for you. We have some stats. I'd like to take a look at them if we can here, please. Let's throw those up on the screen if you got them. These are the CompuBox stats. They might be a little bit hard to read. Obviously, Benavidez on the top line, Andrade on the bottom line. There are, of course, only six rounds. So there you can see it. Total punches for each guy, 117 for Benavidez, just 68 for Andrade. Jabs, of course, Andrade was going to be a little bit better with that, 19th to Benavidez is 15, but the jab is not a super essential part of Benavidez. In fact, some of the early uh, punches he was able to land in that contest were the result of uh, very clever timed right hands, or excuse me, uh, backhands, I should say. Yeah, right hands. What am I saying? And then you go to power punches, 102, nearly 40% of them, 38.6, to Andrade's 49. I, 
he just got overwhelmed. At the end of the fifth, the referee warns him, uh, you got to show me something. Excuse me, I think it was uh, at the end of the fourth. No, end of the fifth, yes. End of the fifth, they say, you got to show me something. The fight continues into the sixth. He gets warned in the sixth to show him something. They go back to the stool. His corner says, you got to show me something. And I guess they didn't like what they saw. So then they called it there. By the way, good call by the corner. Good call by the corner. He was done. He was cooked. That was only going to go very, very badly for him. He does not need and did not ultimately, thank goodness, take any unnecessary punishment on the second half of that contest. So his corner really did him a favor. For the MMA fans who watch, I, I, know, I know that boxing creates different dilemmas and different abilities for corners to more frequently check in with their fighter, right? Three-minute rounds uh, as opposed to these five sort of long intervals and whatnot. But the, the corner really, I think, saved him from extra. I mean, they could have called that one a round earlier, but okay, you spotted him the sixth. After that, they didn't have to give him anything. Um, David Benavidez is one of the most electric talents in the sport of boxing. You heard the crowd there. Dude, let, let's talk about that Canelo fight, shall we? I see people saying online, like, I, you know, all they, everyone on my timeline wants to see David Benavidez fight Canelo Alvarez. Did you hear the crowd roar when David Benavidez said that? He asked the crowd, who wants to see me fight Canelo Alvarez? I mean... They tore the roof off that place with their applause. Everyone in that facility tonight in the, the uh, Michelob Ultra Arena. Never had a Michelob Ultra, but um, should I be mean to Michelob Ultra? I'll, I'll just leave it alone. The, the, what, what I'll say is he tore the roof off that place. And how many times have you seen a guy ask for a fight like that? And, you know, listen, sometimes there's a tepid reaction or, you know, it's a decent pop. No. This is not just a, I mean, dude, the layers of what makes that fight tremendous are overwhelming. Number one, that would be a huge uh, pay-per-view. Now, obviously, Canelo Alvarez typically does really uh, great pay-per-view numbers, but nonetheless, this would be one uh, among them. This idea about battling for the adoration of the Mexican fight fans, I think is an interesting angle. I'd be curious to see more and talk more to a Mexican fight fan to get a better understanding of things. But certainly that rivalry is now has only grown here this evening. And also it'd be for the belts in this weight class. And if Benavides were able to win, it would be almost a passing of the torch moment as well. Even though Canelo's 33, he's a bit of an older 33. The levels at which that fight is important and needs to happen and should happen. And there's a market for, it is simply undeniable it is simply undeniable. I don't have to convince you. It's quite obvious it would sell well. It's quite obvious the fans want it. There is clearly, uh, it would, by virtue of Canelo's participation, major stakes involved in terms of titles. And his audition tonight, Benavidez, in beating Andrade, is about as thorough, complete, and convincing of one to make you think that he has a chance and should get it. And he's the interim champion for the WBC Anyway, he's the number one contender, basically. And everything else I just mentioned. What would be the argument for not doing it? Everything you would want to justify making a fight, everything you would want to not really justify making it, but showing why it has importance from a historical stakes standpoint, for current supremacy, for the box office, it checks every single box Along the way. Did the guy earn it? Yes. Would it sell well? Yes. 
Is it important for one of the most rock-ribbed fight communities on earth? Yes. Would it be exciting? Yes. I mean, I could keep doing this all day long. It's not hard to sell this fight. It's one of the best fights you can make in boxing. It's one of the biggest fights you can make in boxing. And it's one of the most important ones just the same. David Benavidez in 2024, I I'll say it, he must fight Canelo Alvarez. We cannot make these people do anything that they don't want to do. Boxing fans are, I think, always quite right to be skeptical about what ultimately can be produced when, you know, there is a lot of friction involved in making fights with the biggest stars, and in particular with potential rivalries like this one. I don't know what will happen. I cannot say. Your guess is as good and probably much better than mine. But that fight, absolutely, no questions asked, needs to happen. It will be a travesty if in 2024 Canelo Alvarez and David Benavidez do not fight. What fight would you rather see either of them do? Are you seriously going to tell me you'd rather, you would rather, you would prefer to see Canelo Alvarez versus Jaime Munguia? You'd prefer that. Stop lying. Stop lying. You'd prefer to see David Benavidez versus David Morrell. Now, hear me out. I would love to see that. I would love to see that. But the size and the scope of a fight against Canelo Alvarez makes that one a much better choice for me. You have this ascendant, powerful force in the weight class in David Benavidez trying to kick the door down to an opportunity against the guy who's got the belts in the weight class. They're both basically Mexican. And when I say basically, I mean David Benavidez does have some Ecuadorian roots, but they're Mexican, which is arguably the most important and certainly one of the most important rock-ribbed fight communities in this sport. Dude, what the fuck could the argument possibly be to not want to see that and to not make it? Oh, Canelo might not make it. Yeah, he might not. What does that have to do with what you and I want? What does that have to do with what you and I deserve as fight fans? Deserves a strong word, but what the, what would, what the sport would benefit from. That is the fight to make. That is, the, that is perhaps the most important fight to make in boxing in 2024. <coughs> <Excuse> <coughs> I'm sure that's debatable, and I'm sure other people will have different kinds of favorites. I am... I, 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 Cannot say that I speak for all of boxing when I say that, but I do feel very comfortable in saying, if that's not the biggest, it's on the absolute short list. And again, the ones that we most want to see. And I don't blame Canelo for what ultimately Jermel Charlo um, failed to provide with that experience. Not his fault. Not his fault. But I do want to see Canelo tested. I want to see Canelo tested against a guy in, who's 26 years old, who is gigantic for the weight class, who can take a punch like there's no tomorrow, who has ridiculous hand speed, who has ridiculous offense, who breaks some of the rules of conventionality or you know, typical sort of boxing standards, and in, in so doing creates absolute massacres out there. Massacres. Dude, Andrade had moments in that contest where he not only landed good combinations, but good return fire. I think even in that fifth round, perhaps, he had eaten three or four good punches, several of them hard uppercuts. Benavidez ate it like it was a Scooby snack. 
and then just marched on into him. It did nothing. It didn't slow him down. It didn't discipline him. It didn't deter him. It changed nothing about his game. It only made his sadism more apparent. He just leaned into it afterwards. Crazy, absolutely crazy what he was able to show with that performance. Say that again, Luke in Long Island in my ear. Okay, okay, all right, all right. So I don't know about you folks, but the choice seems clear to me. And by the way, we should note, this was, as I mentioned, this was the last pay-per-view on Showtime. Uh, the promoter uh, in this particular case, PBC, Premier Boxing Champions, I do not know where they will go in 2024. I wish I did. I do not. Presumably, though, if you've got Tank Davis and you've got Crawford and Spence and you've got two Canelo fights, including potentially this one, um, I am confident that they'll reach some kind of broadcast deal somewhere. I just don't know where. But wherever they end up, this fight has to be on the short list of must-sees, must-haves. I, ca I cannot imagine a world. Well, I can imagine a world. <laughs> let, me, let me stop there. I can absolutely imagine a world where we don't. But what I will say is this. Um, 2023 was a great year in boxing in large part because many things went uh, the right way in terms of timing and opportunity and change in the industry. But it was also a really good year because guys went for it. Fighters took risks. I was at that press conference when Errol Spence, who ultimately took a bit of an ass beating in, in accepting that fight with Bud Crawford, but he did say something that has resonated with me, which is we have to show people it matters to take risk. We have to show people it's lucrative. We have to show people that the fans will respond. We have to show people that risk is not a dirty word. It's not a thing to always avoid. You can't be stupid with it, but you should not avoid it. You should embrace it and use it to your benefit. That's why 2023 was great. That's why it was great. You had a lot of guys doing that. We need more of that, certainly, in 2024. I hope we get it in this particular circumstance. Canelo has certainly done enough to probably go into the Hall of Fame, has done enough to etch his name into the legends of boxing, Mexican boxing, you name it. He's, he's done, you know, middleweight boxing, whatever. Any, any way you want to cut it, he's, he's done that. Um, but this is the most important fight he can make right now. This is the best fight he can make for him. This is the best fight he can make for us. This is the best fight he can make at middleweight. There is nobody else. There's no other choice more interesting than him. Now, with one caveat, which would be, of course, Bud Crawford, I would take that one. But they're going to do the rematch clause with Errol Spence. So I don't know. I don't even know if PBC has any interest in that. I would, I would grant a bit of an exception for that. But still, if I'm being just genuine... The amount of glee I would get watching Canelo Alvarez have to fight David Benavidez and what Redman said here today, Canelo would actually relish a fight like that because Benavidez, excuse me, if Andrade had won, you kind of have to hunt him down. You got to go find him, right? Benavidez was able to do that, but it's a tougher thing to do for the smaller Canelo potentially. But Benavidez, you don't have to worry about that. He'll bring the fight to you, no problem. Canelo tends to like that. He tends to like guys who bring the fight to him as an effective and skilled and very heavy counterpuncher. Also, Canelo Alvarez has a fucking chin like a fire hydrant, right? Hard to hurt that guy. Can you imagine him and David Benavidez crushing each other for 12 rounds if it even went that long and what that would mean? And the best thing is, if Canelo, I mean, I, wanna say, I, won't, I don't, I don't want to say a loss wouldn't matter in either direction. It certainly would. But if the fight was good enough 
you could run it back. David Benavidez is only 26. There would be ways to have multiple versions of that. By the way, people said that was crazy when I said that about Spence Crawford. I did the uh, Showtime podcast with Eric Raskin and Kieran, Kieran Mulvaney, and I said, you're going to get two of them. I said this year, which was not true, but you almost did. But you are going to get two of them, right? And that's a mutually reinforcing clause there, so it's a bit of a different situation. But nevertheless, you could, you'd be surprised with something like that. Anyway, um, if this was the Can- Canelo audition, consider it quite past for me, for David Benavidez. He did everything he needed to and then some. Um, pretty goddamn effective. Uh, quickly from some other pieces of this card, if I may, how about that Jermel Charlo fight, the co-main, right? So he wins, I think it was 100 to 90. He had 199-91, and then I think 198-92 or 97-93, something like that. So here's the good news for Charlo. He beat the dog shit out of Jose Benavidez Jr. I mean, he took it to him. I nearly finished him off at the end of the 10th round. It was only a 10-round fight. It was a non-title fight. I mean, he beat the bags off of him with long-lasting combinations, deep uppercuts, sick one-twos. He had a phenomenal jab in this contest as well. I mean, just a great job. Great job overall. Landed basically everything you could ask a guy to land, except one thing, or two things, really. He didn't land a knockdown blow, and he didn't land a knockout blow. And you'd be like, well, you know, does his power carry up this much? Dude, he was fighting a guy who had titles, or certainly fought anyway, at 140. I was there when Jose Benavidez Jr., BC also wasn't there. That was the same night as the Amanda Nunes and um, Juliana Pena rematch. When Danny Garcia in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center fought Jose Benavidez Jr. at 154, and he got... I mean, Danny Garcia just boxed circles around him, you know? He stood up to that. You're like, okay, dude, Charlo is not just one weight class above. He missed weight bad for a 163 catchweight fight. He was at 166. The guy was, and I think 166 and change. He was closer to 168 than he was 160. And they had, and Benavidez, by the way, he got paid for that too. He made about 250000 They fined him $75,000 per pound for Benavidez Jr. to consider that contest. So there was three pounds plus some change, nearly $250,000 to do that. In any case, um, he couldn't knock him down. He couldn't finish him. He did everything else he wanted to. So here's what I'm going to say. I know some people are like, well, if you can't knock down Benavidez Jr., because by the way, Terrence Crawford knocked him down in a much different way at a much different time. But okay, Crawford uh, stunned him quite badly. If you can't even do that, what can you do? To which I would say, I don't know, man, the guy had been off for nearly three rounds. Uh, Brian Campbell tried to make him cry several times. <laughs> Alive on pay-per-view. Hey, why aren't you crying? Cry. There he is. Yes. Hey, Brian. Why did you make that guy cry? Why did you ask him about the most fucked up questions about his life? <laughs> um, we should just make farting noises. You know how, like, the teacher in Charlie Brown goes, wah, 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 wah. We should just make farting noises for Brian whenever he's absent. Uh, in any case, so I don't know how you guys felt about it. I'm not going to be too harsh on him. I didn't think it was great that he couldn't polish him off, but he looked fluid. He was landing in combination. He was throwing continuing combination. He was accurate. Shot selection was diverse. Targeting was diverse. He just couldn't seem to like fully put him away. And I don't really know exactly what to attribute that to. I don't know if he was still a shell of himself. I don't know if... Benavidez, I mean, I could tell Benavidez is tough, and maybe he's too tough for his own good. I don't, I, by the way, I don't know if he medically was transported to the 
hospital or not, which is something of a concern. But um, I guess a good tune-up win for Charlo to be back. And he did in certain ways, uh, I'm not going to say overperform, but performed well enough to give you, uh, restore some confidence. But I would not say this is the kind of performance that like where David Benavidez had, where he just passed it with flying colors. That's not. If this was a pass-fail test, I would still grade it a pass. I guess some people would not. I would still grade it a pass, but I, maybe barely. Barely for me. Um, so lots of positives, but the negative there is kind of uh, – I, I don't know how you could watch that and say he looked bad, but I don't know how you can watch that and say, oh, right, he's back on top. Uh, and maybe you shouldn't expect that when a guy's been gone that long and had the, those many that, that many issues. Elsewhere on the card, dude, how about this fucking guy? From Fajardo, Puerto Rico, Subriel Matias, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, so please forgive me, uh, in a super lightweight contest, 140 pounds against Shojahan Ergashev, or Gashev, however you were supposed to say it. Dude, two absolute dynamite punchers. Ergashev is a little bit more at distance, uh, but eventually Matias just kind of walked him down and kind of smothered and overwhelmed him, and he's got great offense um, from a lot of more inside angles, especially that left hook over the top. He's fantastic. Dude, by the end of the... Fifth round, Ergashev says, I don't want to fight anymore. Do you understand? That's the fifth guy in a row that Matias has done that to. Five fucking professional boxers, good ones too, in a row have been like, dude, fuck this. I'm, <laughs> this is fucking stupid. This guy hits like the Thor of Hammer, or the Hammer, uh, the, the hammer of Thor, excuse me. Are you shitting me? I'm not fighting this guy anymore. Fuck this shit. I'm out of here. And I don't, who could blame them? And I, I listen, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to bring this up to be like some kind of bragging point. I don't really want to say that at all. But remember, sadly, Subriel Matias, we're talking about this earlier, he had the tragic fight um, actually in PG County just outside D.C. where he fought Maxim Dadashev. Maxim um, sadly passed away in that contest. Uh, but it gives you a sense that, remember, I think they waved it after, what, the 11th round of that contest, something like that? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do some kind of bit. I'm not trying to sell you on his power by bringing up something more, but I'm simply here to tell you People often use the way to describe someone's power as dangerous. They'll say that, but not somewhat euphemistically. Like, yes, if they land, it can do damage, but it's sort of ordinary even among these peers. No. Subriel Matias has dangerous power. Dangerous power, right? Five fucking guys in a row are like, had enough. I'm good. I'm good on that. Dominant puncher. Dominant puncher. Dominant. And literally, if you're fighting that guy, and I'm being dead serious, I'm not trying to make some silly or, or um, you know, goofy point about this. I certainly hope I am not. Dude, your guy will get hurt out there if you're not careful. He will get hurt. Like, if you're fighting that guy and it's not going your way, the corner should stop it as early as possible. He will do fucking damage. He has power... And a little bit of durability as well. He has power like you just don't see hardly at all. I don't know where he would rank pound for pound among the best punchers in boxing. But I can tell you, I don't know how many times I can... I mean, how many times can you remember ever seeing a professional boxer who had five opponents in a row? And by the way, this was for a title tonight. Five opponents in a row being like, that is, that is fucking bonkers. I've had enough of that shit. <laughs> like, that's insane. That's insane. That's an insane statistic. They call him Nomas Matias. Yeah, dude, they don't want they don't want any of that fucking problems with him. None. And can you blame them? Look at what he can do.
And then last but not least, Lamont Rose Jr. with a very spirited contest at 130 pounds with Hector Garcia. You might recall that Hector Garcia was the guy who fought in January of uh, the beginning of this year, Tank Davis in D.C. He also got stopped, I think, right around the 6th or the 7th. He was not really a 135er. He went back to his natural weight class here. This was a back-and-forth affair in many parts. Ultimately, I thought Roach did better work. The, he did get dropped at the end of the contest, although it did look a little bit more like a shot to the back of the head, not intentional, but through the way in which they were competing, it, it ended up being targeted there. Um, and that did get counted, and that ultimately swayed the judges because it was a split decision. So I think it was 114, 113 in either direction than 116, 111, or 112. I would have had it closer to 116, 112 for Roach, who, by the way, is from Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Shouts to uh, uh, another gentleman from the uh, DMV area. But if they don't count that, he probably loses. Um, so not great. Not great that it was that kind of close with the judges. But that was a spirited contest at 130 pounds, and uh, uh, he looks pretty great. I'm trying to see if there's anything, if I can. What? Vito, yes. So on the prelim card, we called two fights, Vito Milnicki taking on Alexis Salazar. That was supposed to be a 10-round welterweight contest, and Vito Milnicki iced him inside one round, knocked him down three times, fast hands, accurate punching, quick to the draw. The other guy was just kind of winging shots, and um, yeah, it just didn't go real well for him. Once he got hurt, he could never really recover. He got knocked down two more times, as I indicated, and it was a straight right hand. Ultimately, it was a one-two that ultimately sat him down. Um, he just couldn't ever get his legs back under him once he had a problem. So we had expected that one internally, I can tell you, to go the full distance. For Milnicki to get a win like that is fantastic. So we'll see what happens next for him. I don't know. And then the other contest, Sergey Lipinets, excuse me, taking on Michelle Rivera. Michelle Rivera finally back after losing to Frank Martin. Frank Martin, a bit of a... Sniper, sharpshooter, he could be a very effective counterpuncher. That's not Lippin yet. He's a forward motion, into you kind of guy. You heard Breadman break down all the things he was doing that tactically didn't make a lot of sense for him. He did have some bright moments. He was certainly a very spirited competitor, um, but was technically overmatched, I think is probably a fair way to put that um, in the end. So, yeah, that was our night of boxing here, the last Showtime pay-per-view. Let me see if there's anything else here that's coming to me on the Twitter machine that I need to answer. But if not, we can call it a day. Uh, <laughs> Someone says, I'm wiling out with my hypothetical arguments to people who may not like the idea of Benavidez versus Alvarez. I'm fired up at nobody. <laughs> yes, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Like, everyone wants to see it. I just, I'm, I, I realize, I realize, preaching to the choir. So in that sense, I will call it a day. That's funny. But I, I just hope, I really, truly hope, with a fight so obviously needed, so obviously ready to be sold, so obviously fun and so important, I really hope that we can get that in 2024. One of the best fights you can make in boxing. And uh, as you can see, the demand is quite clear. All right, I'm done. That's it. We don't have to say anything else. Uh, that's Brian Campbell. There he is. <laughs> Uh, 
He is actually in Las Vegas, so uh, safe travels to Brian Campbell. We will see him on Monday's MK. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. I really appreciate it. Hey, one more time for the socials, if you can. One more time for the socials. There it is. Uh, be sure to tune in Monday. We'll get all of Brian's reaction. He, of course, as we just indicated and you saw, was there. We'll get his perspective from being on the ground. We'll react to this. Plus, hey, how about all that PFL stuff? That was definitely worth uh, a fair amount of reaction. I don't know if my video got up today or I'll, it'll go up tomorrow. I did a reaction actually tonight from my hotel room. So Monday show, PFL reaction. BC's Benavidez Andre reaction. All kinds of fun stuff. Be there. 11 a.m. in the east, 8, 8 a.m. in the west. Cannot wait for it. Thank you guys so much. Thanks to the crew who stuck around here late on a Saturday. Happy Thanksgiving. It's over. But, hey, it's still the Saturday of the weekend. Thanks for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. We're out of here. Until Monday, get some rest, bitches.